Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. As always, I appreciate your consistent presence every week, no matter wherever or wherever you listen to this podcast, I deeply appreciate and thankful for the support you have given me. If you have not officially joined the Immigrant Nation, you can go ahead and click that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. And another way to be part of our community is by visiting and following our social media accounts. Our handle is An Immigrant's Life. There you can see pictures audio reels, and other things that I deem cool. And sometimes I post my face, I don't know, doing things. So check it out. Uh, It is also there where you can contact me if you or someone you know is interested in appearing as a guest on the podcast. Or you can send an email to animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. There goes the house cleaning. Now, Let's talk about this week's episode. Oh, before I make the introduction about the, our guest, I just want to say that in this conversation, we talk about an artwork, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember that name. So now for the one who cares, the artwork I'm talking about in this episode is entitled A Sunday on La Grand Jatte by Georges Surat. It's a beautiful painting, and you should check it out. Now, let's talk about the real episode. Our guest this week is a true master of visual art and jewelry making. He is redefining fashion as a canvas for cultural identity. Every piece he creates is a masterpiece that goes beyond style. It's a genuine reflection of his authentic self and heritage. Join us as we dive into his artistic journey and how he beautifully blends creativity and self-expression. I think I've said enough. Let's not waste more time. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is an illustrator, an author, and a jewelry artist. He used to mix materials as a chemical engineer, but now he just sculpts them together to create beautiful jewelry. Everyone, please welcome Alan Matudio. Hi, uh, thanks. That's an interesting intro, yeah. Oh, I appreciate uh, that. You looked into my background, it looks like. I try. I, I love, quote-unquote, spending time with the guests before I have a conversation. But I don't go as deep because I always still like that surprise. Yeah. You know. By the way, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to it. Why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation before we start where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Uh, yeah, you can reach me on my Instagram. That's where I'm most active. You can see part of my process um, uh, at Alan Matudio. Or you could just check out my portfolio and my art at alanmatudio.com. Mm, I love your art, man. You are so cool. Like I said, okay. <laughs> offline, I'm like, sure. shout out to Johnny. I'm yeah, like, I want to meet some cool Filipinos. Yeah, shout outs to Johnny. Johnny is a cool person in general. So 
He's a, yeah, he's cool. I like, I like Johnny. He's very calm. He's a very down-to-earth yeah. guy. Anyways, this is not about Johnny. Sure. Let's talk about you. Uh, Montreal-born to Filipino yeah. parents. Yeah. Which part of the Philippines uh, are mom and dad originally from? Uh, my dad's ancestral background is in Pangasinan. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is Batangueña. So growing up, actually, I thought that, you know, having alae or e at the end of your phrases was a normal Tagalog thing. But then I realized <laughs> not everyone speaks like that. And I think that's great and that's special because mm-hmm. it kind of shows how, as Filipinos, we're not monolith. Right. Mm. So there are kind of different ways of speaking depending on where you are from the Philippines. Yeah, I love I love that too. I I just one thing I didn't like about that alae thing is they made it they use it so much on TV it became like a snoop uh like a spoof. You sure, know? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool thing. Don't push it too much. Yeah. You shared in your book Michael or Michael how was uh, your child, Michael? Yeah. How was your childhood growing up in Cotonage, Manila of Montreal? <laughs> uh, it was nice, actually. It was nice in the sense that, like, I never had to think about being different. Hmm. It was nice in that we, there was a really welcoming community. Like, all there was, there's a strong Batangueño community. And we often hung out with them, actually, like my my parents and stuff. And to this day, like these are still like they've become my ninongs and ninangs, right? Like because of how close my family's gotten with them. Um, we would often like barbecue or just hang out all the time. Like we got we, like we were playing outside and meeting other Filipinos and it was super just nice to be in that space it was really when i got to um so i went to a private high school called college de montreal and that's when i realized how different i was to a lot of students and they made it clear too right just like a lot of microaggressions and like what? also you know just just being asian in an all mostly white <laughs> school right like it's you feel it they talk about different things just just flat out racism as kids, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so when I look back into that and when I look at the contrast, I like really appreciated Kutinej because of how chill everyone was. Like not just even amongst Filipinos, just amongst everyone because there was a lot of people of color. So it was just chill at the time. Mm -hmm. Going to that private school, and yeah. then you're living in Codenage. Yeah. Were your friends like from the school or in uh, your neighborhood? All of my friends went to, um, most of them went to Saint Luc. Most of them went to Lavoie. And those, a lot of people from Codenage or Uptown, eventually, you know, they go to, I don't know about now, but a lot of them went to uh, Lavoie or Saint Luc. And I remember telling, asking my mom, like, why am I going to this private school? I don't know anyone there. Um, I'd rather be comfortable with, you know, my friends and stuff. And for them, it was a question of, like, they didn't know any better. So it was important for them to put my education, you know, as a priority. 
but again, in retrospect, it's it's very. I don't think it's necessary to put your kids in private school. If anything, like you're just adding another layer of um, complexity to them. Like you, I've met a lot of. I know a lot of Filipinos who did well without going to private schools. Right, so it's it's just it's just, it was just weird. I don't. I understand my parents' decision, especially my mom's decision, but I I didn't feel like it was necessary. Yeah, I understand that though. But I think because in the Philippines they're public and private, right? Yeah. And most of like, if you can't afford it, you will send your kid to private school because you can yeah. learn more. You have more advantages. Yeah. But obviously, here in the West, is a different situation, mm-hmm. as you said, right? Did your friends gave you grief? about you know being uh, in the private school um at that point i started being more and more disconnected to my friends uh right so i just started making new friends and started seeing my filipinos friends less like i would only see them when there would be festivals or when i would cross them at um in the neighborhood but it's just you know part of being a student and being a kid you're often in school and you adapt and you try to find new friends. And funny enough, the friends that I made, one of them, the only other Filipino in my year, became a close friend of mine. And just other people of color, really. Like, actually, Johnny's brother, William Kim, became one of my close friends. Oh, okay. So that's, that's that connection. Hmm. Were you called by uh, some Filipinos that you're whitewash? Uh, well, I was definitely whitewashed for <laughs> sure. Like, you don't need to, you don't need other people to say that. Now I could accept that that was a fact, hmm. especially because of the types of conversations that were normalized in a white setting in high hmm. school. You like know? what? Um. Just the type of stuff that they would do that seemed really normal. Um, like them going on vacation to their country house and everyone's mm. talking about how, yeah, where did you go skiing or whatever? And I was just like, how's this a thing? How do you guys have a second home when we don't have, like while we renting, right? <laughs> and that's fine. I don't mind. Like, that's just how we lived. I never thought about it like that. But I started thinking about it when I was in these spaces where privilege was just a normalized um, part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go up to mom and dad and be like, yo, what's going on here? How come they have two houses? We could barely have a house. To some degree, not to not exactly that type of conversation, but like a lot, again, because it was private school some kids were wearing designer or like um like there would be days maybe three times a year where we were allowed to wear civilian clothing right mm. so people made that like a thing to dress up really really cool or really representative of their identity whatever that may be mm-hmm. so i would be like yeah i got to buy this type of clothing really nice clothing because um this is kind of the space that you put me in like i straight up said that like 
I wouldn't be thinking like this if maybe if I was in a different space. Mm -hmm. And what did they say? Uh, they were just shocked, really. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, I remember wanting to get specifically, it was a Rockefeller, like, sweatsuit. You know, when, like, Jay-Z was obviously, and still is, massive rapper and everything. And he had a clothing line, right? Rockefeller, Rockaware, actually, was his clothing line. And that's probably dead now. But at the time, like, those were really expensive clothing. And I was like, man, I really want the whole, like, track suit right and it didn't make sense it was easily like 300 or 500 bucks for the sweater and pants so yeah and i brought that up i was like you know other people in my school get to dress a certain way and mm. i wouldn't be thinking like this if maybe if i was in a different space mm -hmm. during those times you know teenage years we usually have um a battle with our with our parents because, you know, we're trying to find ourselves. They have, they're trying to impose what they think we should be. Yeah. Plus that, what you just said, did that add to your, uh, to, how was your relationship between, between mom and dad? Uh, I guess in terms of expectations and pressure. Um, I think... In, like, I, I did have a background in science, and I did have back then a goal to get into medicine and stuff, to be a doctor or whatever. Um, but the thing is, I don't think that was necessarily imposed by my parents. Um, I did have a genuine interest in natural sciences. Like, it, it sounds silly, but, like, I love chemistry and I love, like, problem solving in that way. Um, but there were, once I was in that space, there was, like, this anticipation of me being a doctor. So I kind of get it because I kind of decided to get into that field. Um, but I feel like, you know, there's that stereotype of your parents pressuring you to be a certain, I don't know, to, to follow a certain career. But I think the truth is, at least in my experience or the people I've met, the Filipinos I know or the parents of the Filipinos that I know aren't necessarily pushing us to go into these careers. The truth is they're pushing us to get a job. So it's not about being an engineer or a doctor or an accountant. It's about finding a job. And I often hear this conversation amongst other, you know, our neighbors in terms of the other Asians or our other Asian peers. And I realize, no, we don't get the same pressure as you guys. Our pressure is at a level that is about sustainability in our households, right? Like, we don't have the privilege to uh, learn medicine or just study engineering. We, a lot of my friends were working when at 16, right? Like they were pressured to find a job or they would work, you know, under the table with their, with their parents, right? Like I helped my dad paint apartments when he was a concierge. So that wasn't in, in our mindset to 
I know there's a lot of pressure to be nurses specifically, and I think that that might still be a thing. But like for for things like being an accountant, being an engineer, straight up, like I remember my aunt asking me, do you think your cousin can be an engineer? And in my head, I'm like, why not? Like, what what's that mental barrier that's stopping you from thinking that your own son can't be whatever he wants to be, right? So there's already kind of like this... Maybe, I don't want to say lower, but just this different expectation of um, let's let's find a job, let's, let's make money, let's try to get out of this situation where we're vulnerable. And somehow I got lucky in that I chose the program that I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, and eventually I chose to take I chose to study things that were completely separate from the norm of, you know, uh, a, a secure career, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me just go back a little bit because I want to take your opinion about it. Why yeah. are Filipinos obsessed with nurses? Why can't it be like a doctor or something sure. else? But um, nurses is so specific. Yeah. It's... It's a part of our history, really, right? When the first Filipinos came in the 60s, most of them did come as medical practitioners, and they were um, highly sought after, and it was obviously really profitable. And that kept on going to the point where, like, sure, we're looking for nurses, because there's also that whole influence of um, care work, right? Like a lot of new Filipinos come in as caregivers. And in parallel to that type of work is nursing. And if a lot of people came here through that type of employment, then it becomes like a cycle of you should go into this because we know it's successful. So it's not a question of having a preference to take nursing. It's a question of what we know. So like, I know a lot of Filipinos that work in PharmaPre, for example, or even in factories, right? Why is that? Because when you have a group of Filipinos that work or just a community that works in a certain place, you would recommend other community members into that space, right? And it becomes just, oh, yeah, I recommend him, I recommend him, blah, blah, blah. So it keeps going like that. So it's a question of our community needs to be a part of different industries. And once that happens, then we can start recommending each other into new spaces. Mm -hmm. 100%. Like South yeah. Asians. Most of the South Asians are truck drivers now. Sure. Like, I'll, I'll, I don't know, I'll, but sure. Yeah, yeah I see like like most of them are South Asians. Because like you said, like one succeeded and like, yeah. oh, this is very profitable. Why don't you do this too? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree and with if, that. If you're looking to find a job, right? First and foremost, if you're looking to find a job, not to follow a specific career, but to find a job. Mm -hmm. If someone suggests a job to you, right? Then you would just 
try to get that job because that is your goal to find a job. So there's different layers of that. But at the end of the day, it's a question of like, what is our community? Like, where is our community? What industries our communities are? Hmm. And because we're so prevalent in these industries like retail and at this point, there's a lot in infrastructure too. And I guess that includes um, truck drivers because I do know Filipino truck drivers. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep recommending ourselves into these spaces, right? Mm -hmm. You think that's helpful though? Um, For people who want to find a job, then I'm not going to judge what you want to do with your life. So if you want to find a job and you get a job in this industry, then you've accomplished what you wanted, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to a person that wants to get into a specific field, then it's not helpful for them. Mm -hmm. Because then you get tempted of, you get tempted between, do I want to follow what I want to do? Or do I feel the pressure of finding a job um, with respect to the needs of my family? Yeah. So that's when it becomes difficult. But if your goal is to find a job, take that job, right? But if you want to be, I don't know, if you want to be a doctor or an engineer or whatever, maybe you should, you know, negotiate. Like, and I'm not going to tell you what to do because it's so complicated, right? Like, we can't just negotiate with our parents either. Like, it's (laughs) it's a complicated dynamic. So, um, but it's important to keep in mind that, like, you can get sucked into these things if you're not um, just if if you if you get just sucked into these conversations of you need a job you need to put your career aside you need a job blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, tricky. for sure it is tricky because you know some people are like just follow your passion like yeah. you you don't know my life yeah uh, maybe I have to feed like three kids and then I have to send money to the Philippines yeah yeah I yeah, can't totally. just be like an artist. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's a yeah. hard job, as you as you know, right? Yeah. Let's change up a little bit. You mentioned that you were you got into chemical engineering and nanochemistry and analytical chemistry. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, You're too smart for me. What did you do there? Specifically, I graduated in biochem mm. in Concordia, and I did an internship at a research lab in a forestry research lab. And what I did in that lab was nanotechnology. Eventually, I got laid off because in the government, they weren't um, supporting research programs as much. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school and studied chemical engineering. Um, So yeah, I guess that's my history when it it comes to just natural sciences. Oh, you always like chemistry? Uh, I I like it because of logic and the problem solving and knowing some chemistry, knowing some physics just allows you to get foundation in how the world works, you know, mm-hmm. just having slight knowledge of chemistry helps you understand better about plants or uh, rain, like really everything, <laughs> everything, the basis of everything. Right. So, yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, just just the truth is, I like learning. I like studying. I wish I was still in school, but I gotta live, right? So I gotta work. <laughs> but like, if you told me that, yeah, Alan, I could pay for your school. I could pay for your life. 
just go back to school and learn, I'd be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I love that shit. Like mm-hmm. I love, I still go to libraries to like take time to, to work on stuff, to learn. Wow. Very interesting. I love people like you, man. Like so, <laughs> so focused on things. Like I love, I love learning too. I do. Sure. But, but you're like a different level learning, you know, like you can actually like make bombs and shit like that, you know? <laughs> Make sure, drugs sure. if you need to. Sure, sure, sure. Positive uh, negative. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's. I like just. I. I don't know. I like puzzles and problem solving and stuff like that. I like. And I, think I like the puzzles reason... too, but you're you're a different <laughs> puzzle solver. Okay. Sure, I. Yeah. I know jigsaw puzzles. You know what I mean. Sure, sure. You mentioned earlier that you thought of thinking maybe you'll be a doctor or whatnot. Yeah. What did mom and dad say when they you finally told them like, "Hey, I want to do chemistry instead of being a doctor"? Yeah, it's it's tricky because um, it it was kind of like a gradual change, to be honest, mm-hmm. because I didn't have a chance to get into pre med. Like the truth is, I I didn't have a chance. So the idea was to go into biochem, mm. which I did then have good enough grades to transfer into uh, medicine or Mm -hmm. pre-med. But that was more like a goal for me. And when I realized that I wasn't able to, because the grades to get into there is pretty intense. Like (laughs) you're basically a perfect student, including like volunteer work and everything, you know, like, and you're competing with international students. It's, and it's fairly corrupt system. So like, oh, what, what are your chances? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know enough to to talk about it. Like okay, okay. But yeah, so I started like being more realistic. So it went from that dream of. It, to be honest, it wasn't even a deep dream. It was more like, oh, this is a cool career to be a doctor. Like I never dreamed to be a doctor. Like like i grew up with anime like unless goku was a doctor i don't i don't care about being a doctor you know what i'm saying like hells yeah man i mean i'm a wave bro yeah I'd rather, I've, if there was a class on being a saiyan or learning you know turning super i'd do that right so That's a, it wasn't a, a real man. dream so for me it was at least for my spirit it was okay for me to gradually be like okay i'm not gonna go into med maybe i could try to go into uh pharmaceuticals because that's that's like fairly similar and mm. and you know in terms of like healthcare and stuff or or just health or or biochemistry like it's not a crazy jump it's a lot of like mm-hmm. recurring themes and concepts mm. but then i was like man you kind of like med you needed to do an exam and like it's still super competitive so I just got comfortable doing research. And mm-hmm. like I said earlier, like I enjoyed just being in the lab and like experimenting and stuff. So I was really happy with just doing research, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So from that, being a chemist, be studying stuff, to yeah. video game illustrator. Sure. Speaking yeah. of a big jump. Yeah. How did that happen? What happened? It... It sounds like a big jump, but to me, it wasn't because Hmm. while I was doing the chemistry work, I decided to 
study drawing and illustration and digital painting as though I was back in school, right? Wait, is so, that like your personal, like, you wanted to learn or like it came with the school? Uh, so I, I was in my career now as, as a scientist or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as a research tech. And in my part-time, I made genuine effort to learn art, right? And I think because of my technical approach to learning, that got me um, far into um, video game illustration. Um, I was also really lucky that one of my teachers in art was also, well, he himself used to be an engineer. He used to be a computer engineer. So the way he would talk about painting or illustration was very technical. And I can relate to that. Like he would be like, the reason why we have this and the reason why this is so bright is because this creates a read that makes your eye follow this, right? There are rules. And once you started understanding the rules of illustration, it was easier for me to grasp because before that, before this specific teacher or before this specific program, like illustration program, a lot of art courses was about draw how you feel or copy this. And they weren't really technical. It was just like feely. And that's fine. It's just, it's not for me, right? Like for me, it needs to be technical. Like if you're going to tell me to draw a box, don't tell me to copy how you draw a box. T tell me why you drew the box this way. And if you tell me this is how you felt it, I'm not feeling what you're feeling. I need to know exactly why this box is drawn this way. And certain teachers were able to break that down. Mm -hmm. So I like what you said. That You said, okay, show me how to draw the box and I'll draw the box. But people could say that. Well, no, for me, hmm. it's not even that. For me, it's why. Why are you drawing the box this way? And if you tell me this is how it feels like, that's not good enough. But if you tell me this, that I drew the box like this because the point of horizon is here. And then you have two vanishing points leading to this point, And that creates the corner of the box. And because it's a box, the edges are equal distance to each other. Then every single element of that box is accounted for. Then I can believe you. But if you tell me it looks right, that's not good enough, right? Mm, so I yeah. got teachers that were like, no, this is how you draw the face. Because when light hits a certain angle of your face, it becomes shiny. It's not because your skin is oily. It's because at a certain angle, you get the Fresnel effect, right? So because I met these really technical artists, I got to um, relate to them. And I saw that this field of art is not just about how things feel. It could be extremely technical, mm. right? Now, going back, that's beautiful. Now, going back to what I was trying to ask is, you know, people will say, how about those people that says, this is how you feel? Like, because people sure. could say that, you know, art is how you feel. Like, yeah. so how can you draw uh, an Allen box in you that you could put your quote unquote heart and soul? Yeah. Um, the thing about my work is that I am conscious that my art is a reflection of 
my experiences. It's a reflection of my influences. And Alan Art is nothing without without Akira Toriyama or without Studio Ghibli or without um, Filipino artists like Bastinode or Jap MK. So if you tell me what is Alan Art, I could break it down for you in a very technical way, just like how people have told me how to break down mm. illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like my art tells the story of Montreal Filipino community. That's not something that's super feely. It's like grounded, tangible experiences. The way I draw my characters is um, a reflection of, or it's the product of me looking at pictures of my cousins, right? My cousins have this nose. This is the nose that I'm drawing. This is a Filipino nose. It's not a question of, I feel like the nose should look like this, or this is what Filipino is. No, I don't care what you think Filipino is. My cousin has this nose. That's the nose for this character. So everything is like, I'm accountable for everything that I draw, everything that I put there, I can explain because I'm not just feeling it. It's, it's also just real. You know what I mean? Like it was referenced from something. Yeah. I love that. There's this, whose artist was that? What's his name? He drew this like, people in i think it's in france and they're at the park just looking at the water i forgot the name anyways so the idea and it's like he put dots to create this painting like it took them a year or two to put the dots and there's a science behind it because every dot is beside another dot that is affected by the other color by the uh, the color of the dot yeah yeah, forgot the name but yeah but like, I love that shit. I love learning about art in that sense, like what you're saying. And not just like, I felt like drawing an eagle. Sure. Like, but, but like, how? But don't get me wrong. Like, that's completely valid. It's just me as an artist, everything I do is super technical, mm. potentially to a fault, because I want everything to follow in steps. <laughs> and because of that, my work tends to be a lot slower. So... Yeah, it's just, for me, a different way of working. I'm more of a technical, I have more of a technical approach than a feely approach. And if you feel like my work has a certain feel or vibe to it, everything is intentional. Like, there was a conscious decision to make the line curve or to make the line straight, to make the head this size or that size, the nose, the eyes, everything has intention. Mm -hmm. Do you paint? Um, Oil? Or acrylic? No, it's been a while. Um, I guess what we do with the computer is called digital painting, mm-hmm. but it's not the same, obviously. Mm-hmm. Speaking of digital painting, what's your opinion about AI art? <sighs> well, that's a huge conversation also. <laughs> uh, in what sense? Because that's, that's a huge conversation. Well, let's, let's start with how it's going to affect art in the future, in a sense like uh, painting. A great example. Anyone can do quote-unquote art now. Just type in some words on what, I don't know what they use, but especially with your work. Um, yeah. I think a big part of art, or at least my experience with art, there needs to be an artist. And no matter how artistic 
And no matter what your technical capabilities are, there needs to be intention. So um, the AI is able to reproduce images, but if those images are art or not, I would say they're not because how you put the light and how you put this dot and the combination of how certain shapes are put together was not in the was not necessarily an intentional thing it was a result of the average of how they're meant to be put together so if you told the ai to do a painting of a cat it would just average out what a painting of a cat looks like and present it to you but if you as a painter somehow made the ears of the cat one centimeter bigger and that was by design then already the ai wouldn't think of doing that because it's not within it's programmed to to think outside the box in that way you still need to give it specific commands like i recently saw something with little wayne being interviewed about how ai has like been making music that's little wayne mm. and little wayne was like first of all he doesn't care because he just makes music. He's always in the lab. He's always in the studio. He's just rapping all the time. But when he was asked that, he was just like, it's impossible because he's so, he brings out something. Well, this is what he said, right? He, every, when he brings out something new, the AI can't keep up with that because it's new. So until this input exists, you cannot replicate the artist, if that makes sense. So right now, the AI might be able to copy my art, but until I decide to change how something looks, the AI can't simulate that, right? Because it didn't exist before I created it. So there's still that very important element of the artist because we keep pushing the boundaries. And the AI is just able to keep up with it, right? Yeah. So because, you, yeah. yeah. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Well, because if, for example, if somehow the AI imagines being creative, like creative, like let's copy Alan, but Alan in ten years, right? How how is how can the AI foresee how my art looks in ten years? You know what I mean, like within me now and within 10 years, something can happen to my life that can completely deviate um, my, my artistry. So when it comes to AI, unfortunately, you can't get something creative or new. It's just, it's, it has references. So sure, you'll get pretty, really pretty pictures and people are probably able to monetize these pictures. And I think there is value in AI because, to be honest, a lot of people in my industry use AI to think of ideas um, or to visualize some ideas. So it's going to be a part of the way we work, but it's not going to replace the artist in that it's still up to the artist to take it to that next level. Hmm. Yeah. 
Do you think there'll be a day that AI will replace all like video game illustrators and whatever else? Because you know how companies are, yeah. they're trying to save money in the end, yeah. right? I think it's really, it's super possible for AI to replace anyone, really. Because at the end of the day, if you're a company, if you're a corporation, your goal is to make money. If your goal is to make revolutionary video games, like games that change the face of video games or like really amazing IPs of a video game, you're not going to use AI because you need that really creative personal touch in your work. If you're a super generic company, sure, go ahead, use AI because your, your games are already generic and boring and mainstream and monetized. Like we don't expect you to revolutionize the game. Sure, go use AI. You know what I mean? But if your goal as a video game company is to create innovative games that'll push the boundaries of gaming, no, AI, can, AI can't uh, replace the people. 100%, yeah. Yeah, if you want to make the next uh, Candy Crush, use AI, right? <laughs> if you want to make the next Mario, use AI. Th those things exist. We know how those games work, right? Mm -hmm. But if you want to make, I don't know, like, I don't know, the what's a really dope game? <laughs> I haven't played uh, video games in, like, decades. Sure, but I, I don't know, like, a good game, like, Elden Ring or God of War, you, you won't be able to just AI that. Mm -hmm. uh, or to AI the level of change they brought to the industry because before them those types of games didn't they weren't at that level yeah ai doesn't have the capability of the the creativity of an artist yeah i would say that like ai can't push the boundaries because at the end of the day a human needs to decide if what the ai did is good enough you know what I mean? That. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the, you could be like, okay, make a game about this, make a game of that, then boom, you have four options of a game or four options of an illustration that was created by AI. At the mm. end of the day, it's up to you to decide which one you want to present. So there's still that human component to it, mm. right? Yeah, 100%. I love that. Let's change up the topic a little bit. This sure. is one of the fascinating thing about you, jewelry making. Okay. How did you get into that and how long you've been doing it? Uh, how did I get into it? I've been doing jewelry stuff for a while. I started taking it seriously two years ago. That's when I started taking a course. But I made jewelry might be like five years ago because I knew how to model in 3D. Mm. So my first piece was actually fan art, really. Like I made um, like a ring that, a ring of like a Pokemon design or a ring about like Studio Ghibli things. Mm -hmm. And I modeled it in 3D and got it printed. And when it came back, like that was my first set of rings, you know, like they were designed in 3D. Um, ultimately, the reason why I started making jewelry is because I think jewelry is cool. Like it adds a lot to like your style or your personality or your identity. But most importantly, it's because I was looking for things that I actually cared to 
to wear or stuff that was meaningful to me. Um, I found that a lot of jewelry in the market, like, are like generic or had symbolism that didn't really, that I didn't care for, for example. So I wanted to create pieces that um, reflected the research that I was doing or the history that I want to share with people. So it was really like that, there was really a specific moment when I was walking in the subway or in the metro. And like, you know how they sell like rings and sunglasses and like all, and I like looking at them. I'm like, okay, what's cool here? And as much as I wanted to get like, like, you know, buy something or wear something, like I want to have something to, I don't know, to be cool. I don't know, whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing made sense for me to wear. Like it, it didn't reflect the stuff that I cared about. So one of the first, like, in fact, all of my pieces, uh, starting from two years ago, were either it's either about learning the basics of jewelry making, so just basic practice, or has some kind of influence from Filipino shape language. Mm, yes, that card that you made, yo, that's fire, bro. Sure, sure. Which one? The the the, the, uh, chain? the necklace chain. That yeah, piece, yeah, yeah. the ka, the, the symbol ka. Yeah, man. Yeah, Yo, thanks. That is so clever. I'm like, yes, it makes sense. They, they link together. Yeah. It's genius, like, right? <laughs> it is. I'm like, yo, that's amazing. That's one thing I love about artists. Like they can't, like you talk, going back to, about the AR, like they don't have that thing that they can yeah. think of that. Well, AI doesn't need another thing about AI. AI doesn't know very specific things like that mm -hmm. right like if you told it to do a ka necklace i'd be surprised if it knew babayin first first of all mm -hmm. right but like i tested out filipino like common filipino things into the ai like you know those like uh those ice cream carts in the philippines yeah, right? yeah like you yeah. put it in bread and whatever and like it's a very specific cart design if you wrote Filipino ice cream cart in the AI, it's not going to give you what you have in your mind as a Filipino ice cream cart. So there's still these limits to very specific cultural things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like for me, I made that ka necklace because obviously I'm deep into learning about the past and Babayan is super fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just thinking of like, because there's something called the Cuban link, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it's it's not even from Cuba. It's, it was designed in LA, but potentially from Cubans. I'm not even sure exactly. So mm -hmm. I was like, what could be a very, like, truly, genuinely a Filipino thing, Yo, right? That's another level that makes more, yes, yes. Because like that. yeah, so I was thinking the ka link, and to a person who knows Baba Yen, it sounds a bit redundant because ka togetherness who and cares? link. I love it, but it's it works right. Like it's logical and it works a hundred percent. It yeah. make, like I said when you like because I was looking at the video and the pictures. I'm like, okay, how did they connect it? And like, oh my god, now it looks like a chain, but it's yeah. actually ka the yeah. symbol. 
Yeah. I got into by buying like for a while now. I've been yeah. doing it. I I create I create my uh, I create my own calligraphy. Okay. Uh, but I put it on my um I re- recycle paper. Okay. And then I'll I'll put I'll put the bye bye in on the paper. What do you mean to practice or to, no, just to like, make your own style or yeah, just make my own style. Okay, what do you, what do you, speaking of style? What do you yeah. think about illustrators or artists or calligraphists that changes the shape of the letters? Like, of course, we're we're trying to yeah. show people the other culture that hey, we have this thing, yeah. but it, once you change it up, it's harder to learn more. Should we start with like the basic shape and then move on, or do you think? Um, it's it's really up to you as the artist, right? As the person writing and stuff. But I think this comes with Filipino diaspora being a time capsule. A lot of the conversation often revolves around how to keep it authentic. And as you mentioned, when you go back to the Philippines, they're not even thinking about authenticity. They're thinking about elevating it, right? So in my head, um, I do this with a lot of Filipino, just like uh, imagery, like even for Aswang and stuff, like I interpreted it my way Hmm. because Filipinos back home are interpreting it their way, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, and it just gives you the liberty. Well, it gives you the ability to use Filipino things into a space that is relevant to you, mm-hmm. right? So if I were to show Babayan in a very dry way, like super simple, basic way, like when you draw an A as a triangle and blah, the line, right? Mm-hmm. But if you showed the A in graffiti format, in a very graphic format, it's already cooler, right? Mm-hmm. So if your introduction to Babayin is in a way that is stylized, to me, that's fine. Because at least now you know Babayin, right? And it's up to you to explore that. And if you realize, hey... Actually, Alan's way of writing the symbol doesn't make sense. Good for you, because you learned <laughs> that the way <laughs> I'm writing is different, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're at the stage of being able to criticize my work, then that's great, because <laughs> it shows that you looked into it. And that was like part of the purpose of putting out a, a lot of our pre-colonial history, right? Because uh-huh, a lot of what I want to... Uh, show is pre-colonial history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, as much as it's cool to have three stars and a sun, mm-hmm. that can't be the extent of what Filipino shape language is. Like, just because you put three stars and a sun on a t-shirt, sure, it's a Filipino t-shirt now, but there's more to it than that, right? Yeah. We've had a history of different designs and shapes. Like, just just dive deeper into your history. And that's when it gets hard. That's when it gets hard because it's a process, you know? It's, it's a process. When you start looking before um, colonization, you can't just look at what is Filipino. For me, I had to look into what is Batangueño or what is, right? 
because it's not filipino anymore no you're being specific you're being intentional about your actual history Mm -hmm. how do you decide on what you want to create do you have a plan or it just comes to you um a lot of it has to do with uh like my environment right like and the stuff that i consume Mm -hmm. so it's it's not a question of like what i want to create it's like when i have the time to create things (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i want to create a shit ton of stuff like i want to create a shit ton of stuff but like um it's not a question of choosing because I do want to do all of that. It's more mm-hmm. a question of like how to prioritize. And I also want to collaborate with other artists that do the same thing because mm-hmm. like there's something really special about um, just seeing the impact of other artists into your own craft. Mm-hmm. Um, it like, it just, it, Yet you learn new ways to do things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like so, training. You need a training partner. Yeah, 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 totally. To elevate yourself. Uh, and you, 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 it's nice to have someone that keeps you accountable to certain decisions that advises you when you're not sure, right? Like it could be silly things like, should I put a rock here? Or should I not put a rock here? Like what looks better? Do we make the car big or do we make the car small, right? Like. So just to have like a second opinion is really cool too. And to be honest, in most of my work, there's so much back and forth because what's important for me is that my my story is clear, right? Like what I want to convey, the messages I want to convey is clear. So if I have any doubts, I like I'm not someone working in secret and want to surprise people. I want to be like, uh, guys, does this make sense? Like, is this problematic? Like, is you know. It, I wanna. I want people to see my stuff and feel like, yeah, this is dope. As opposed to, if even there's a slight element that's like gives like potential bad feels to a person, like then I gotta rework it because I didn't think about it deep enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you're the artist. Uh, but a lot of it also is about maintaining the type of messages that I want to do mm, for so, you personally. Yeah. yeah so if, it. if my whole thing is about decolonization, right. But I have a police officer as my main character, it doesn't make sense. Like there, there's competing thoughts there. You know what I mean? So I need to always check with people to make sure that my stuff is uh, just my consistent. Because that's important. Mm-hmm. At least for me, that's super important. 100%. Kasama, the book. Where yeah. can we purchase this book? I'm trying to look for this book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think we have it in the West Island. <laughs> Bro, come on, man. Um, it's in a few bookstores downtown. It's okay. in Drawn and Quarterly. Oh, it's Drawn, still there? It's available still? Drawn and Quarterly. Okay. Right. Usually, they would email me if it's sold out. Okay. So we actually restocked them a few times, which is pretty surprising. Uh, like, it's cool that I have this book and it's it's pretty cool how people reach out to me and tell me like, or when I see reviews about it, you know, like it's been, I guess, two or two years now. And like, I'm not pushing it as much as I am now because, you know, there's other projects and I'm busy. And obviously I love the book. I would love to push it. It's just... 
we're busy. So when people still reach out and tell me how they enjoy Kasama, despite not promoting it so heavily, like mm. it's really nice to uh, to see that people still vibe with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. I love it. I love that idea that you were disconnected to your culture and then to get this to go, to connect back. You yeah. decided to come visit the Philippines. Was that the first time you visited? Um, it was the first time I visited as an adult. Mm. And when I visited the Philippines, I was already volunteering with a few Filipino organizations in Montreal. So when I went to the Philippines, I had a totally different perspective of um, just the history and uh, tourism and just revolutionary movement. So I was more aware of these things. So when something that even slightly alluded to that when I was in the Philippines was more impactful, you know. Like my goal in the Philippines was not to go to Boracay and see what like, oh my God, the beaches here, really inspiring. I, I want to represent how beautiful the beaches of Boracay is. No, like it's not about that. Like it's about, and to be honest at the time, I I didn't know what, I wasn't necessarily looking for anything. It was just things that I experienced, right? Like one of the scenes in the book I was with, well, the character was with a bunch of tourists in this van. And that's a fairly common thing that happens when you are doing tourism in the Philippines. Like you share a van with different people so that you could go from one location to another. Mm-hmm. And I had the experience of being in a van with a lot of just white people. And the way they would talk about the country was like, man, that's kind of that's kind of messed up because sure, I'm a tourist like you. But I also have Filipino heritage. So like the way you talk about it makes it sound like it's your playground. When really like, why are you thinking that? Right? Because you spent money, you have the, you feel the entitlement to to use the Philippines as your playground. No, this is people's homes, right? Like, so I was more conscious of these types of conversations and were a lot more triggered to like really fucked up things, you know, that people would say. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that. You know, TikTok and social media, right? What's sure. your viewpoint regarding those influencers that's, you know, primarily Western countries, people that yeah. visit the Philippines, express enthusiasm about amazing aspect of the Philippines. Yeah, Do yeah, you yeah. think that's a problematic thing or is like, or is it helping us introduce, introduce our country to other people for them to come and be tourists and, you know, help the economy. I don't give a fuck if people visit the Philippines <laughs> as a tourist. The fuck would I care, right? I don't give a fuck. Tourism is really fucked up in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Tourism fucked up Boracay. Tourism mm-hmm. is fucking up Palawan, right? Mm-hmm. Tourism is fucking up our resources. Like things, our country was not made as a tourist destination. Mm-hmm. Our country has history, has value, has, has, you know, has depth. It's not just tourism. So I really couldn't care less if people, less Filipinos went, well, less white tourists or just tourists in general visited Philippines with that intention. If anything, it would push the government to think of 
properly approaching their economy and not make it so foreign dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we are so dependent on remittances and tourism and um, just not necessarily just Western influences, but like just foreign and just neighboring countries too. Just let's work on building on the Filipino people first and foremost, because like they live there, they're the ones struggling. Right. A hundred percent. I grew up there, man. I grew up poor. Like, like, do you think I care what the white person thinks of the Philippines? I hate that shit, dude. I I I care what you think. Like, hey, oh, guys, yeah, I went to the Philippines. Uh, it's so cheap for... here. Yeah. yeah, no shit, Einstein. Yeah, We're sure. dying over here, bro. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I, I hate that. Like, oh, my God. it's so be- And like what you said there, I don't want you to come, to be honest. <laughs> I don't want you to come because you're going to fuck up the place. You're going to throw no. garbage and shit. You know, yeah. leave it alone. You know, we have beautiful resources. We have mountains. We have beaches. Leave us alone. We're not Thailand. Go to Thailand if you want to do those stupid things. But that's 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 the thing, right? Like I feel bad for our our Thailand brothers, our Southeast Asian brothers, because like that white people got tired of Thailand and they're going to the Philippines, right? Like I've met tourists go. I met tourists tell me, "Oh yeah, I was in Thailand and we visited these beautiful islands. And once you see it, you've seen it all." And I'm like, "So why are you telling me this?" Like, why are you showing, why are you showing off your privilege right now? Like, I went to Thailand, I've seen it all. I don't give a fuck, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's, it drives me nuts, this social media that, you know, like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful here. Oh, yeah, we know that, dude. We know that. But mm-hmm. we don't need you to be here. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. But, like, a big part of it is also just, our government, well, not our government, but government in the Philippines encouraging that type of behavior. Oh, for sure. If, like, we're we're giving out the perception of being really welcoming, accommodating, accessible, because a lot of Filipinos speak English, right? So when the conversation needs to be about how to improve the economy outside of foreign, like this foreign dependency. Mm-hmm. Speaking of politics, sure. I saw that you did that Bakit Silen. Sure, sure, sure. It's a, what was it? Can you please explain what it was exactly? Um, it was a short comic strip that helped promoted. Um, at the time, Lenny was actually the vice president to Duterte, but at one point her politics was so different from the Tete that like people don't really know this. Um, mm-hmm. She was kind of just like doing her own thing at that point. But at that time she was campaigning against Marcos and Marcos has their own controversial history. Um, and to me, Lenny was more of a appropriate candidate so I worked with Mila Banco previously. Uh, Mila is also a writer, and we were a part of like this online exhibit that spoke about different neighborhoods in Canada, like a Filipino diaspora. And Mila is connected to an organization in Negros 
that wanted to promote Lenny Robredo uh, for presidency, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so when they brought up this project, I was like, man, this is pretty cool, but like, there's so little time and so much research. I decided to do it because like, it's at the end of the day, this is really important work. So I decided to do it. And it's probably my, the piece that is the most distributed that I've ever done. Hmm. Um, granted, it's like a small campaign thing. Like it's like four or six pages, but like, it was distributed. I don't even remember. Like at least, I'm I'm looking at looking it up now. <laughs> but they made hundreds of thousands of this that it was distributed, right? Wow. And it was all like through donations and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, this is crazy that um, this work was able to be disseminated that way. Yeah. So super happy to be a part of that um, project uh, because yeah, like. What's most important for me is potential transformative change for the country. Um, so yeah, actually, okay. So we're reaching over 50K. Woo! Pretty crazy, yeah. Not Obviously bad. I didn't make money out of it and the exposure is very like zero. <laughs> but like it's, the, it's really the duty or that, that wanting to make that difference, you know? Yeah. And it comes with the work. A lot of work comes with not necessarily uh, being acknowledged. At the end mm. of the day, you did it because you think it's important, right? Yeah. Were you upset when you lost? Oh, it was a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't surprised. Um, I was happy to see the turnout. I was happy to see the pink t-shirts, like... I was like, I went to the Philippines recently, a month or two ago. Oh, okay. And you could still see Lenny murals, right? Like her impact has, it's still represented in, in art and just going down the street. Like there's still a lot of like Lenny memorabilia, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was cool to see that there was a movement. Like yeah. there was a change in people's mind. It's helping, but yeah, it's like it's it's everything, right? It's it's always small steps, like of course, it's a question of time. Yeah, were you surprised that Marcus won? No, yeah, same no. here. And yeah. I knew that too, like years before. I knew sooner or later <laughs> he was gonna come back. He's gonna come back. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I like when they came home, and then they start running for office and they start winning. I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is gonna happen. Yeah, this is gonna ha like sooner or later, and then plus with family members and friends growing up in the Philippines, they'll talk about how amazing it was that time. Yeah, yeah. Marcos is peaceful and whatnot. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yo, no, it wasn't peaceful. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I I love talking to my dad about this because you know he grew up during the martial law. Yeah. And like, how was life? Like, was it good? He says. Well, it was quiet. It was peaceful. But apparently they used to have a store. And the soldiers will just come in and just yeah. take whatever they want to take. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And I had a family. I have a family member that she was a teacher. And I said, how was that? Like teaching history and whatnot. Okay. How was it? I'm like, well, you know, they won't bother you if you don't say anything else. 
that oh, against yeah. the government, you know. Oh, yeah. I had a family member. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, I, I had a yeah. family member that was connected, closely connected to the family of yeah. uh, the Marcos. Yeah. And she's like, oh, they were nice. They always give us food and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, but overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. problem, right? Yeah. You know? I think I think that's the thing. There's a lot of like small experiences like that, mm. and like it doesn't, it shouldn't cover up the blatant, obvious theft and atrocities that were done. Like this is not just. It's funny because Filipinos love the West so much, mm-hmm. but the West thinks we're messed up for voting in Marcos. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the West recognizes. Marcos being messed up, right? Mm-hmm. But like, when it comes to that type of conversation, it's more like, oh, but they don't, they don't understand. Like, they don't, they don't live it. They don't live it. It's all like fake news and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's. I don't know, man. It's tough. It, it is tough. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's tough. It, but the, the that bothered me so much is there are videos. Yeah, and pictures and people, actual people that went through, and it's documented that they were tortured, they were raped, yeah, and people like that, fake news. Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, it bothers me so much. Yeah, but anyways, I think we're there, my man. I enjoyed this conversation with you. Before we close out, do you have any last remark or anything that you would like to say? Uh, not much. I guess just hopefully. you guys could follow at uh, at Alan Matudi on Instagram. I have quite a few projects on the way, uh, which is super exciting. You mentioned the the cat chain. I'm actually like creating a new version of that. No way. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, it's more. I don't know. I'm just I'm brainstorming ways to make it like more reproducible for people. Like I want to be able to share this stuff. Um, I do share my work with close friends and stuff but like i want to be able to share it with more people 100 <laughs> percent, man and at sure. the, there's a point now where i'm like balancing out creation versus production and at the end of the day i care more about being creative so mm. there's gonna be a time for all of that but yeah, I'm working on a new version of the Ka chain and looking forward to share that with people. I cannot wait, man. Again, Alan, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Yeah, really thanks for having it. me. For sure. Have a good evening. Yeah, talk again Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Alan, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.